Welcome to another episode of Exploring Boys Education, a regular podcast produced by the IBSC. I'm Bruce Collins, and it's my privilege again to host another conversation about boys and their learning. Anyone who has ever taught in a boys' school will know and love the buzz of boys bustling through hallways and into classes. You will know and love the vibrant debates and interactions in class, the passionate display of athleticism on courts and fields, the expressive exuberance of drama performed on stages or paint splashed on canvases. You'll know the joy of watching boys come into their own and grow in confidence, but also of boys becoming keenly aware of their identities, their place in the world and the difference they can make. Educators of boys know and understand the power of relationship in these interactions and in helping boys understand who they are and what they have to offer. Now, more than ever, as the world is emerging from a time of disconnection, understanding relational teaching in a boys' school context is paramount. Catherine Barnes, director of the Wernham and West Centre for Learning at Upper Canada College, sums it up so well. Relational teaching has always been an essential tool and practice for helping boys achieve. At its core, relational teaching is all about connection. It's about knowing the boy, his story, and helping him find meaning and purpose in the classroom and beyond. This last year has been so difficult for students. They have felt a deep sense of loss, loss of self, loss of purpose, loss of sport, loss of friendship, and for some, an unexpected loss of loved ones. If we are to support them in recovering from this pandemic and the lockdowns, we need to be intentional about listening to their story, their experience, honoring where they are at, and rebuilding and reestablishing those relationships. It's why this model is so critically important in helping our boys succeed. It is with this in mind that we dive into the topic of relational teaching in this episode. Our guest, Michael Reichert, is an applied and research psychologist who has long been an advocate for children and families. Best known in IBSC circles for a series of global studies on effective practices in boys' education, Michael continues to work with boys' schools globally on understanding the power of relational teaching. He has published numerous articles and several books, including Reaching Boys, Teaching Boys, Lessons About What Works and Why, and I Can Learn From You, Boys as Relational Learners. His new book for parents is How to Raise a Boy, The Power of Connection to Build Good Men. Before we dive into relational teaching with Michael, however, one of our favorite parts of each podcast is being joined by my colleague Amy Ahart for our regular feature, the IBSC Newsreel. Hello, Bruce, and hello, listeners. Hi, Amy. It's lovely to have you on. Um, and before we get into the Newsreel, I'm really excited to share with you today that just after we released our last episode on boys and sports, we reached the milestone of 10,000 downloads for exploring boys' education. 10,000 listens is a significant milestone, and we're grateful for everyone's support of this podcast. Additionally, none of this would be possible without the contributions of our guests who generously give of their time and expertise to educate and challenge us all. You're so right, Amy. Many expert voices have featured on the podcast this season. Speaking of expert voices, we have a number of online classes coming up in June and again in July, and I'd like to encourage listeners to head to the online classes page on our website to check these out. However, the really exciting program coming up soon, Amy, is the 2021 IBSC Virtual Conference. 
Bruce, we are so excited about these upcoming programs. All of the details can be found on our website, but I'd like to highlight the following for the 2021 IBSE virtual conference. To make it more convenient for our global community to attend, we'll gather during four 90-minute sessions, each hosted by a major IBSC region in its local time. Everyone who registers for the conference may attend all four sessions, including real-time engagement with colleagues and presenters with the live chat feature. If you can't fit a session into your schedule, we've made sure that all attendees gain access to stream all of the conference content for a full year. Each 90-minute session will feature keynote speakers with universal messages, followed by small workshops that dive deep into detail. We'll be hearing from experts like Marie Crabb, Nancy Hill, Rob Lowe, Craig Wilkinson, James Kerr, and renowned historian John Meacham. While we can't wait to meet in person again, this year's virtual conference will provide an opportunity for us all to remain connected, learn together, and support each other's work with boys. Register today on www.theibsc.org. We will see you there. Thank you so much, Amy. I can't wait. Introducing us to the topic of this episode's conversation with Michael Reichert is Guy Logan, a researcher at St. Bernard's College in Australia. Guy shares some of their thinking about the primacy of relational teaching in their context. Relational teaching at St. Bernard's is a dimension of boys' education that we recognise as important, mainly because it results in trust. So trust for us means that the student feels psychologically safe enough to let down their defences or any worries that they might have about making mistakes or saying the wrong thing. And they feel supported to take the opportunities given to them by their teachers. That's why we support and encourage our teachers to connect emotionally, to create a positive climate, still with clear expectations. And it's these conditions of relational trust that allow our students to make the most of every opportunity given. Michael, what a privilege it is for me, um, and I know for our listeners, to be speaking with you today. You're well known to so many in the IBSC, and I, I know people have relished reading your research and your other works and engaging with you in person in many occasions. So thank you for giving of your time and being part of this podcast today. Bruce, thank you for having me. I, I have, a, as you know, a special uh, place in my heart for the uh, Boys Schools Coalition. Um, you know, I don't know if you know this, but it was the coalition that first funded my research back many, many years ago. So, you know, I, I've been uh, uh, at many, many conferences and visited many, many schools and just have a, have a special appreciation and gratitude to the coalition. Happy to, happy to be talking with you today and, and with your members. So, Michael, I'd like to kickstart our conversation with some reflection on the fact that boys are wired to connect. What are your thoughts on boys' schools leveraging the research about the fact that boys are, are wired to connect to transform teaching and learning? You know, when I, when I thought about um, writing this last book, uh, uh, How to Raise a Boy, I thought about, you know, what is the widely shared value? that might rally um, uh, cultures to change how we construct boyhood. Because my, my core belief was that boyhood itself was uh, uh, not 
properly uh, uh, fitted to the actual natures of boys and that we were essentially uh, perpetuating a model for boyhood that was essentially violating their most basic natures. You know, for a long, long time, Bruce, we debated, you know, um, is it nature or nurture? Uh, you know, and there's a, been a whole uh, a history of folks promoting a point of view that males are dominated by our genetic makeups or our hormonal uh, makeups. You know, that biology is destiny when it comes to males. You know, we've debunked that idea when it comes to females, but it persists still. And in fact, I think it's still the dominant paradigm when it comes to thinking about boys. And my, my view is that, you know, uh, from this, drawn from this new school of interpersonal neuroscience, that, that experience is biology. Our brains are essentially plastic and they code our experience in neurodevelopment. So, you know, if a boy is receiving less uh, uh, opportunities, for example, to code his feelings with language and communicate them, that language center of the brain is going to be relatively underdeveloped. So in terms of leveraging these insights, um, here's some of the things that, that I've been uh, advocating when I talk to schools. I think the very, very first thing is to recognize that uh, human nature is essentially relational and emotional. We are, we are creatures who have evolved to prioritize relational and emotional stimuli uh, in order to enhance our ability to attach and be cared for in, in that prolonged dependency of childhood. So recognizing the relational and emotional nature of boys really is a profound and a radical idea that if really taken seriously, um, I think will work its way into the very, very core of school curricula. As you know, there's a special interest group of IBSC schools that have formed to implement this idea that, that boys are essentially uh, relational and emotional and to think through what it means to, um, to, to, to put into the center of school life relational pedagogy. I think what it means is making sure that in every uh, uh, communication, uh, uh, in mission statements and marketing materials, in, in teacher orientations and professional development, this idea that boys are essentially relational learners, uh, that that be really um, uh, uh, thought through, promoted, and lived. Um, and, I, you know, as I mentioned, these schools in the special interest group are experimenting with different strategies for, for, for accomplishing that from, um, you know, new uh, uh, job descriptions for teachers to a peer-based uh, 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 reflective relational practice. You know, I've even done workshops. I've begun to do workshops for boys themselves, um, basically communicating, hey guys, you are relational learners and here's what that means. It means you actually have to advocate for yourself uh, when you've got a breakdown with a teacher because, you know, you need that connection in order to really get the most out of yourself. Michael mentions the IBSC Special Interest Group on Relational Teaching. 
I asked Peter Kudis from Scotch College in Melbourne to tell us more about the establishment and work of this SIG. The IBSC Special Interest Group in Relational Teaching and Learning began as a collaboration between Scotch College in Melbourne, the Crescent School in Toronto, and also Michael Reichert. We now have 29 schools across eight countries participating in the group. I think it's true to say that all involved in boys' education accept the importance of relational teaching and learning. What's difficult in practice is embedding relational teaching and learning frameworks in meaningful and effective ways. And that's been the focus of our group in the first year. We've looked at strategies to make relational learning visible in a cultural context and practical for teachers. The fundamental tenets identified in the early research by Michael Reichert and Richard Hawley apply, I believe, to the work that educators do with boys in all contexts. However, context and climate matter. So, for example, the way in which we go about embedding a relational learning framework might look different in a school which has a high percentage of boys of colour or a school operating in complete lockdown or indeed a school that has been on the relational learning journey for some time and is now looking to reset the focus so that it doesn't just become relegated to the realm of white noise and that it is something that is pursued in a purposeful and effective manner by teachers. Michael, you're talking about boys as relational learners and I suppose that means that if schools want to become relational schools, they need to put relational learning at the center of school life. And so, you know, what would that mean for schools to become relational schools? Yeah, you know, I've, I've deduced or, or invented, <laughs> depending on your point of view, I, I, I've come up with seven uh, principles that I think need to guide how schools think about this. Um, the first is it needs to be intentional. You know, you can't just claim that you are a relational school because you like the idea of relationships or, you know, you believe the compelling research that, that we've generated. It actually has to be intentionally thought through. You know, where, where is our practice at a, at a disjuncture from this insight? Because what I know from visiting, you know, at this point, hundreds of schools is that the very best of schools, the very best of teachers, that we, we tend to revert to old ideas, particularly when we're under stress. And it's easy for that historic curriculum to, to uh, reassert its dominance, to show up in all kinds of uh, unexpected places, including our own hearts. Rick and I found in our research with teachers um, in the 35 schools that participated, you know, across the six different countries in our IBSC-sponsored study, we found very, very experienced teachers, you know, when they had a relational breakdown with a student, find themselves uh, in the default mode of essentially attributing the problem to the boy rather than seeing that breakdown as an opportunity to rethink basic relational pedagogy premises and coming up with a new solution. 
So number one is being intentional. Number two is to recognize the triadic nature of the relationship. For too many people, I think they, you know, there's this idea or or a, a misunderstanding that relational pedagogy is about being warm and soft, um, forgiving, you know? And in fact, what the boy said very, very clearly to us in our study was that the teachers that they uh, felt the most respect for, the ones that they felt the most gratitude to, were the teachers that had the highest expectations and wouldn't let them underachieve. The third is that... um, uh, you know, it's a it, it's a partnership of assent, active consent. You can't make a boy learn. You can't threaten him. You can't punish him. Many boys uh, are not particularly motivated by grades. The primary motivation, what enables them to invest themselves in a relationship, um, uh, is a feeling of connection with the teacher. So understanding that, I think, changes the dynamic of the relationship. It's a working partnership between the teacher and the boy in which the boy actually has to agree to the partnership. And so much of relational pedagogy, I think, is about eliciting that act of consent to be partners. It falls to the teacher in that relationship to be the relationship manager, and it falls there by default. Um, the, the, uh, a boy himself is at the very outer edge of his vulnerability, you know, to, to acknowledge that I don't know how to do this and I need your help takes all of the boy's bandwidth. Um, and he's not in a position if things get complicated at that margin, at that outer edge, he's not in a great position feeling so vulnerable and exposed. He's not in a great position to be stepping back and monitoring the quality of the connection. That falls to the professional, the teacher, by default. And what that means is it falls to the teacher to monitor whether the relationship is strong or weak, whether there's been a breakdown, if there's been a breakdown, to undertake strategies to repair the breakdown. What I heard many teachers say when we did the workshops as part of our research was that they'd had a breakdown, they'd done what they could, and it fell to the boy to take the next step. And in fact, uh, what we heard in our research, you know, I say this, Bruce, when we do these workshops with schools, I say, You know, of the 1,500 boys in our study, how many boys uh, 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 volunteered uh, that they had taken initiative to repair a breakdown in a relationship with a teacher or a coach? Out of 1,500, what would you guess? Very, very few. (laughs) We heard none. We heard no examples. Yeah. And I, I, uh, uh, I was so interested in that because I kept hearing from veteran teachers, you know, at a certain point, it's the boy's responsibility. The boy has to do what he has to do to, to, to make the relationship work again. You know, he has to do his homework or he has to be more attentive or more respectful or apologize or stop talking or, you know, all of these kind of um, conditions that were put out. And, 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 and you know, 
based on that finding that out of 1,500 boys in the survey we did, zero said that they had taken initiative. What I say to audiences at this stage is, if you are that teacher or that coach waiting for a boy to take initiative, don't hold your breath. It's not likely to happen. Now, that doesn't mean I'm happy that it doesn't happen. I actually think we can do much, much more to train boys in understanding that they're relational learners and that they need to take responsibility to get what they need from their teachers and coaches. You know, many teachers feel bad about a relational breakdown. They feel like somehow it's a sign of, you know, their their uh, 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 ineptitude or their lack of skill. And, and so, uh, you know, a fifth principle is to recognize that breakdowns happen in every kind of relationship normally. We typically cycle through periods of connection, disconnection, reconnection. And to recognize that that cycle is normative in relationships, I think, can help teachers recognize that to have a weakened or attenuated connection with a student for reasons that may have nothing to do with the teacher's skill. It may be that the boy has just gone under even more intense stress or developed some very subjective reaction to the teacher or the coach that that has nothing to do with the realities. Um, But it's important for the teacher or the coach to, to recognize that weakened connection and do something about it. Um, So uh, sixth, um, what we know from research on, on teachers is that the greatest source of professional stress for a teacher is conflict. Unfortunately, when there's a relational breakdown with a, with a boy, boys can often create conflict with that teacher. We were struck by the vehemence of some of the boys' feelings about teachers that they'd had a breakdown with. You know, one boy uh, at, a, at a school told us, you know, that, that you know, they, they weren't going to do any work for that teacher. And I explored with them. I said, how come? You know, you're still getting a grade from that teacher. And, you know, it matters to you uh, that, that you get along with that teacher. And the boy said, I don't care. I'm not going to work for him. Um, he's supposed to care about me and help me learn. And he's checked out on that front. And I'm not going to, to, to you know, put in my part. You know, when we explored in our study, what's going on with teachers that they are unable or unwilling to play the role of relationship manager under stress, particularly when boys are oppositional or disruptive or blaming of the teacher? Um, Under that kind of stress or the parents are coming in and, you know, blaming the teacher, under that kind of professional stress, what many teachers or coaches do is revert to a self-management role, a protective shielding. And that's when I think that it's most likely that teachers will, will fatalistically conclude that I'm not going to be able to reach this boy. And then, you know, lastly, I think, and because of that fact, what I've been doing uh, lately is I've adapted a model from a fellow named Graham Gibbs 
um, who developed a model for reflective relational practice. And basically what it involves is inviting teachers in a peer support context, professional learning groups, to meet and review on a regular basis the quality of their relational uh, 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 connections with their students, being able to talk about the ones that are weakened or broken down, and in particular to identify in that reflective mode, you know, what's going on with me that's causing me to be stuck, unable to come up with a creative solution to this problem or this to solve this relational puzzle. It's amazing as you were sharing how I reflect on my own practice as a teacher of boys. And and there were a number of occasions where, where I had those relational breakdowns with boys. And, and you're so right. It, 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 in the end, the initiative was up to me. Managing it was up to me. And in many cases, it, it took not months but years to reestablish a good relationship with the boy where it had, it had broken down. Um, but without fail... Those are the boys probably I'm still connected to now years, years past because of that intentional um, relationship building. Um, so uh, as you were speaking, it, it just resonates deeply with me on a personal level because that's been my experience as a teacher in a boys' school. Well, Bruce, I appreciate that. You know, you're, you're, you're touching on, I think, um, two other things that I, 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 would, I, would, I would be remiss if I didn't say. The first is that, you know, when Richard Hawley and I went into this research, we were doing it in a context in which there was a lot of research coming out about boys in education. Countries like Australia were formulating national policies, you know, to, to because all of us around the world were concerned that boys were were falling behind, that that where girls' education was just taking off with the advance of gender equality. Um, boys' performance was flat, and it was very clear that we didn't yet have a theory for boys' education that was hitting the mark. So Rick and I went into this uh, invitation from the IBSC to conduct a study. We went into it believing that rather than come at this research opportunity with preconceived ideas about what would work, we would conduct an inductive study we would actually ask the question of teachers and boys, what's working? And we developed our theory of boys' education uh, from the trenches, from folks like you who were figuring things out because you care about what you do. You know, your pride and craft requires you to figure it out. And sooner or later, we believe most teachers arrive at the the idea or the recognition that boys are relational learners, that getting to first base, to use a U.S. baseball metaphor, getting to first base requires some kind of a connection. And, you know, when the connection's broken down, many teachers find themselves defending their position and waiting and waiting for the boy to, you know, check back in. But as we heard in our research, you know, boys are just as proud as their teachers. And are unlikely to do it unless there's some something you know that eases the the stuck place, the hardened positions. And the second thing I would want to say to you, I, I really liked what you said at the end, because I think that's so important. Um, 
You know, I don't know why you went into education, Bruce, but my experience is that many, many teachers go into education, teachers and coaches, because in a certain way, they recognize the transformative power of the role that many of us have had teachers and coaches that have lifted us up, who have enabled us to see ourselves in ways that are beyond our, our imaginations. And that transformative power, um, when it's actually experienced in a relationship with a student, are the very rewards mm. that keep you coming back. It's exactly that. <laughs> Probably you're not in education to make a million dollars. Definitely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the gratification, the validation that comes from helping a boy become something more um, is so rewarding. And that transformative power resides in the relationship. Michael, before we uh, started recording, you and I were reflecting a little on, on the pandemic and how that's rolling out or, or how the vaccines are rolling out around the world and and um, on some of the challenges of schooling um, in this time. And and I think what's front of mind for many of our schools, I think, you know, who all desire to be relational schools, as, as you have outlined, is that the pandemic has had a significant impact on maybe the establishment of relationships with new boys who have entered their space, possibly um, continuing to build on the relationships they already have with with boys who are already in their care. What are some of your thoughts on the complex challenge boys' schools face at the moment as they, re I've termed it like this, as they sort of recover relationally from, from differing levels of COVID-induced disconnect? Because I think this is, this, is a, this is a real thing that our schools are facing. Yeah, real and very immediate, I think. Um, so, you know, I, I think all of us, around the world are trying to figure out how COVID has changed the, the, the definition of normal. And we don't know the answer to that yet. I think, you know, as, here, I, as we were talking earlier, I was saying that the U.S. has reached a, a stage where 60% of the population has one dose of the vaccine and people are sort of, you know, re-emerging um, into, into, you know, public life. Um, but, you know, I think that that one of the, the, the research that I've been following tells us a couple things. The first is that uh, virtual learning uh, is here to stay. Um, a survey conducted by the RAND Corps of school districts across the U.S. found that I think uh, nearly a third are planning to continue uh, hybrid and virtual instruction. I think I think we've discovered some things about efficiencies um, that will be achieved in, in, in more use of, of online uh, learning and educational technologies. Um, so, you know, it's here to stay and it's here to stay despite the fact that online learning, other research has shown, um, actually uh, 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 depresses achievement you know, uh, students just don't perform as well when the bulk of their instruction is happening online. And there's lots of, you know, speculation about why that is, um, the conditions, you know, and so forth that, that it's happening under. My uh, son, who is a, a vice principal 
at a boys' school locally here in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, his specialty is, is uh, uh, educational technology and integrating technology and learning. And he tells me that it is not at all necessary that connective technologies need to lead necessarily to disconnection. Um, in fact, you know, using a flipped classroom or more individualized instructional models, I think can enhance a boy's sense of feeling connected to his teacher, you know, can enhance that boy's sense that the teacher's paying attention to him, knows him, understands how he learns. Um, I think there's many, many new opportunities that come along with the hazards of online learning. But I'm concerned about this fact that, you know, this in this new educational landscape defined by the pandemic and the quarantine and so forth, that we might forget that boys are relational learners. And so I, what I think is that as schools reemerge from various, you know, uh, degrees of quarantine and return, return to quote normal, that there's a reassertion of this fundamental insight about boys as relational mm. learners. What, what really struck me as you were speaking there is that it, it comes back to those seven principles, does it? Whether, we, whether we're online or in a hybrid environment or if our schools are fully back um, to face-to-face -to -face learning, those seven principles that you outlined, you know, if, if we're applying those in our interaction with boys and being intentional about the establishing the relationship as first base, you know, we're we're already probably on on the right path. Yes, and I, you know, I and and just you know, under the the extreme um, pressure to return to normal, um, while retaining some elements of the uh, virtual uh, learning environments we're create we've created, to remember that that the priority is still on fitting our educational our, our pedagogy to the realities of boys' human natures. And I think if we have that front and center, you know, that boys are relational and emotional creatures and we design our, our pedagogy to fit that understanding, I think we'll get it right. Michael, those are such encouraging words and I think a great way to end our conversation. We're grateful for your inputs and we thank you so much for your insights and also for your, your continued collaboration with, with IBSC and with IBSC schools. Thank you, Bruce. Um, you know, as always, it's a pleasure talking to you and, and, uh, I appreciate um, I appreciate your audience and the hard work, the really life changing work that they do in schools. And uh, I wish every everybody the very very best as we uh, return to quote unquote normal. We end this reflection on relational teaching with some insight from Miguel Dionis from Viaro School in Spain. My advice to boys schools who want to be more focused on implementing a relational teaching model is for the teachers to spend time having an open and personal conversation every two weeks with their students individually. These conversations center around character, academia, family, friendship and ideals. Furthermore, once per term, teachers have an interview with the students' parents. By doing this, families and the school set goals together. So. The teacher can guide the students along the year with a clear path. In my experience, the deeper the relationship is between parents and teachers, the more cohesive and fruitful 
the relationship is between teachers and students. Later this year, in August, we'll be hosting a two-part virtual event with Michael Reichert that you don't want to miss. In this event, he will share his insights on developing a relational pedagogy in boys' schools. Details of the event will be shared soon. We're grateful for Crescent School in Toronto, Canada, who will be our co-hosts for this learning opportunity. Thank you so much for listening today. Until next time, keep safe and keep well.